0: We are going to be in Isaiah chapter seven. So if you open your Bibles, kind of smack in the center, you will find Isaiah right there. If you didn't, if you found the Psalms, you can go to your right. If you found, if you went a little bit too far and found like Matthew, we're going to be there. So stick your finger in there, but scoop back to your left a little bit, and that's where you'll find Isaiah. Isaiah chapter seven is an interesting chapter in the Bible, and I've been listening to uh, many sermons this week on it and last week and i've been really excited about it we studied this at community bible study uh was that last year we did isaiah or was it two years ago i don't remember it was two years ago and i was really excited when we did that because i was like wow we could really do a christmas uh that that's what the virgin birth means and that's what why it's there and i was like whoa now that being said Callie, i got to let you know that out there, there are little notes things, and if you fill one of those things out, you get candy afterwards, so no pressure, but you're always invited to do so. So, I mean, candy is a good enough motivation for William to work it over, so. So where are we going today? Well, we're going to begin focusing on Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, where God calls out the bless you. Uh, He calls out the bless you. Kind of does the virgin birth, and it's not like, oh, look everybody, the virgin's going to have a birth and it's going to be wonderful. No, it is a, it is a sign of judgment. It's a sign of, okay, you didn't listen. Now here is what you get. Here's the consequences of your actions. King Ahaz has a lot of power. He is the king of Judah. This is a split kingdom, okay? So we have Israel and Judah. Well, Syria and Israel are joining forces together, and they're like, with our power combined, we can form Captain Planet. Just kidding. Uh, Very wrong television show. We can form an army big enough to take on Judah. Whoa. Judah It says, literally, he's shaking in his boots like trees shaking in the wind. We're going to get ready, and we're going to read that. So, what is our point today? God is calling out for us to have faith in him. How will we, or more specifically, how will you respond? That was a question I asked myself as I was writing through this sermon. How will I respond to this? So I challenge you with the same question that I put in my heart. I give it to you as well. How will you respond? Are you going to respond in faith or are you going to respond in disobedience or just kind of a standoffishness that King Ahaz came? So the thing about listening and reading and studying this quite a bit this week is I am hopefully going to be able to pull off all these names. So Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1, we're going to read through 1 through 9. When King Ahaz, by the way, who is a wicked king, okay, um, he is Hezekiah's father. Hezekiah was a very wonderful king. Not a, There's another king that really came before him, and there's not one that's going to come after him that is as good as he Um. Uh, with the exception of King David. It's kind of where we're at there. Okay, so King Ahaz is his dad, son of Jotham, the grandson of Uzziah, who was king of Judah, king Rizan of Syria and Pekah, son of uh, Remula, the king of Israel, set out to attack Jerusalem. And here's your little bit of spoiler. They were unable to carry out their plan. Okay. We don't really see that. They don't go into that until chapter eight, which we'll get into a little bit, but they weren't able to carry out their plan because God steps in, right? Verse two, that was a long verse one. Wow. There's a lot of information on verse one. The news had come to the royal court of Judah. Syria is aligned with Israel against us. So the hearts of The king and his people trembled with fear like trees shaking in a storm. And then the Lord said to Isaiah, Take your son, share Joshua, and go out and meet king Ahaz. You will find him at the end of the aqueduct that feeds water into the upper pool near the road leading to the field where the clothes are washed on the third stone, fourth person. You know, it's like, seriously, he's like so specific right there. Or another way to say it, clothes are washed or clothes are bleached, which I think is also symbolic. Verse 4, Take, tell him to stop worrying. Tell him he does not need to fear the fierce anger of those two burned-out embers, King Risen of Syria and Pekah son of Ramula, Remula. Yes, the king of Syria and Israel are plotting against him, saying, we will attack Judah and capture it for them. Ourselves And then we will install the king Tabeel as Judah's king. This is what the sovereign Lord says. This invasion will never happen. It will never take place. For Syria is no stronger than its capital Damascus. And Damascus is no stronger than its king Rizan. As for Israel, within sixty-five years it will be crushed and completely destroyed. Israel is no stronger than the capital Samaria, and Samaria is no stronger than its king Pekah, son of Remula. Unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. Right there is the key. Unless your faith is firm, I cannot. Make you stand firm. That goes. That is a timeless statement, said to Ahaz for all of us to hear. And that's kind of where we go on our first point. God is faith, faithful to His people. God is faithful to His people, even when we have a wicked king in His chosen line of David. God is still faithful. What has he done to wicked kings in the past? He has wiped them out. He has taken care of them and wiped them out, and he started over. I think of King Saul and his line. He wiped out his whole family line because he disobeyed the Lord. Well, King Ahaz is doing way more wicked things than King Saul ever did. And God is still saying he is faithful because he knows what's to come. Hezekiah even sees some of the wickedness that are happening here, and he is so appalled by what he sees down the future, down the future road of the kings of line of Judah. A lot of people say that King Hezekiah pushed off marriage to way later, and that was some of the reasons that God came down on him and made him sick and things and um, brought an army on him because he was going to cut off the line of the king of David. And God says, that is my purpose. Either you play by my rules or you don't play at all and I'll bring you home. And Hezekiah got 15 more years. And his son was another wicked king. They don't recover really, I don't think, after that. There might be one that's in there, but... Nothing like Hezekiah. So even though they had a wicked king, chapter 7 opens on a wicked king in trouble. Help me out. Help me. How much trouble is he in? He's in so much trouble that his knees were trembling in fear. This is not something that somebody that's self-righteous does. You don't quake in fear. You think you got it all figured out. But the army that's coming against him is so strong and so powerful that he knows he is in trouble. He knows his days are numbered, and he can't do it today. In the youth group today, I would say this is pure pants scared, right? That's right. That's how scared he is. He is not so much in trouble is in so much trouble that only God can save him. And so God sends his prophet Isaiah along with Isaiah's son, Sher-Jashub, whose name means there shall be a remnant. So Isaiah's son's name is a promise to Judah, the house of David, that there shall be a remnant. Whoa! So in a sense, we're talking a messianic prophecy right there in his name. The name alone speaks of God's mission, but God has Isaiah and company to find the king. He sends him to find the king at the end of the aqueduct that feeds the water into the upper pool near the road leading to the field where cloth was washed. Now, if he got lost finding him, that's all on Isaiah. Because he gets so specific at the third stone next to the fourth step on the next to the rail that's got the chip in it. That's, I mean, how how much more specific does he need to get? Um, Isaiah probably had a good idea where he was, but God wanted also maybe to direct him to wait till he got to that point because there again, you have some very specific symbolism there. You see this washing. Of this clothes. Well, what have we've seen in the Old Testament before? And I don't I think it's after this point. we talk about Joshua getting new clothes and being made white as snow, right? So there's definitely some symbolism here that he wants him to see. As I give as you give this prophecy to him, I want you to see that he needs to see that he needs to clean his life up. And so that's what he goes with. Again, we see some more symbolism of the cleaning than, that needs to be taken place in Judah and in the house of David. The word washed here means bleach. And I feel the king would not have missed the symbolism. I think even this wicked, self-righteous man who's scared out of his mind might be at a point where God would show up and he would direct and be like, oh, I need to clean myself, I need to repent, then God says the invasion is never going to happen. His numbers, he also numbers Israel's days, the sister kingdom, to 65 years, which we'll get into when we read the next passage. This comes to pass, not in Ahaz's lifetime, but in King Hezekiah's lifetime. We find none of this did anything to turn Ahaz's heart toward following the Lord, however. Ahaz is like, no, I'm not going to do this. We'll get into that in a little bit. Yet the Lord, he is faithful. He still follows through. He follows through with his plan in Isaiah chapter 8. Has Isaiah named... He has Isaiah name his son Mayor Shalal Hashbaz Hey, Mayer Hashbaz you, Can Mayer Shalal oh, Hashbaz what, Who? <laughs> can Mayor? Well, uh, that might be alright Shalal Hashbaz What does that mean? Because every kid that Isaiah has, it's got a symbolic name It's swift to plunder and quick to carry away. Oh boy, joy of the Lord. This is carried out by the king of Assyria. Okay, so we have the Syrian king and we have Isaiah, right? Israel, sorry, Syria and Israel. They're gonna get ca- conquered by Assyria. They knew Assyria was a mighty kingdom or an up-and-coming kingdom, but they thought they were so far away across the desert that they were safe. They were wrong. King Assyria does, the Syrian kings do some wicked, wicked things to the Israelites. The way the Israelites are wiped out is sickening and wrong. It's devastating. And guess what? God sends Jonah to the Assyria to call them to repentance. And that just, does that not blow your mind? That's why Jonah doesn't want to go. You know what they've done to the people. You know what they're about to do to the people of Israel, and you're going to save them? No, no, no. You will wipe these people out. And God says, and that's my plan, right? Right? You ever tried to tell God to do something? It's craziness. I get off on a tangent there. Let's get back to it. What is God doing in your life right now that you can give him the thanks and the glory? What can you do? Are you alive and breathing? Well, let's praise the Lord. Do you have hope for a better day? I hope so. Do you have a God who is bigger than the shoulder, has bigger shoulders than you do? I think so. We need to thank Him. We need to thank Him for sharing and carrying our burdens. Always be on the lookout for things to praise and thank the Lord. When we wake up each day, we can praise and thank the Lord. If you are good at anything, if you have good friends, you have talents, or you have treasures, these are all gifts from the Lord to be praising Him for and to be thanking Him for. Is your quiver full of of children. Those are blessings from the Lord. Notice what this passage says about faith. God is always faithful. Not sometimes, not maybe. God is always faithful. And we will praise him for that. When we have faith in him, he works in us. Doesn't he? When he, when we have faith in him, he works in us. When we have faith in him, he works through us. If we do not have faith, he does not work. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, right? It says more than that. It says it more intricate than I did. But that's the gist of it. Think about this. Faith takes calculated risk. Right? You don't go out and see an army of 20,000 and take your army of 10,000 and be like, "Oh, I'm just going to I'm going to take them on." No, you consider it. You calculate and then you say, Lord, are you going to deliver this army of 20,000 into my army of 10,000? Because if you don't, what are the people going to say? You're a fool. You're crazy. And they're probably going to say that anyway. But if God is on your side, who can be against you? And so you know you can face the army of 20,000 with 10,000. How do I know? Because Jesus said it in a parable, dang it. <laughs> right? He did. So God takes on the impossible because the Lord is in it. And if the Lord is in it, who can stand against us? No one. And the weaker we are, the more glory he gets. And the more we can say to God be the glory for the great things he has done. Good him right there, right? Um, what a blessing it is to be able to give him the glory. And I would say, I don't know this for sure, but a lot of times that's an exponential blessings. When we give him the glory on top of giving him the victory, wow, watch out for what God's going to do and is doing in your life. Because God has called us out to have faith in him. How are we... Or more specifically, how are you going to respond to that? So let's look look at the next section in Isaiah chapter 7. What does this all have to do with the virgin birth, pastor? You said you're going to get there. Well, here it is. All right. 10 through 14. Later, the Lord sent this message to King Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation. Ahaz, and make it difficult as you want. As specific as where you're going to be in the place and time. Where is he going to be at? He is down this road, down here, through here at the washing pool. Right. Remember that. But the king refused. He could have had the Lord come. He could have had the Lord come back right then. Send me a sign. Lord, come down here right now and wipe out my enemies and rule. We wouldn't have had to need the first Messiah and the second coming. It could have been right then. But he was a fool. He says, no, I will not test the Lord like that. And he's not doing out of a humble attitude. Okay, I've done a lot of research in here. This language here is I refuse to do something like this. I will not acknowledge God. I will not even give him the time of day. Because if I were to do that, I would have to submit and surrender to him as being God, and I will not do it. I am too in love with myself and the other idols I worship. Then Isaiah said, Well, listen well, you royal family of David, which is a messianic thing. Isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? All right, then the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and he and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. By the time this son is old enough to choose what is right and reject what is wrong, he will be eating yogurt and honey, which shows that he's going to be a little bit older than a baby, right? Before the child is that old, the land of these two kings, you feel, will be with so much... You fear so much, we'll we'll both be deserted. Okay? So the specific son that he told him to to name the long, exhausting name, when he's about two, three years old, enough to eat yogurt and honey, God will wipe these other two kings out. All you have to do is endure. Survive. Because God will not be mocked. God will. Will not be ignored. Do not try to mock God. Do not try to ignore God. It will not go well with you at all, ever. God gives a sign to end all signs to a wicked king. I think part of it is because he is wicked, he knows he's going to refuse this sign, and so. God can give him the sign and know that it's going to work in his timetable. Because if he were to call for the Messiah to come back now, that's not in God's timetable, is it? So God, there's some reasons why God challenges people like this. He does this the same thing to Pharaoh. God knows he can challenge him like he is because he knows the Pharaoh's going to refuse him. He does the same thing to Ahaz here. The Lord asks King Ahaz to request a sign from the Lord on how this will be accomplished. But the king refuses. He says, I will not test the Lord. And every time I read this two years ago when we studied this, I'm like, that kind of sounds noble. There's other people that have kind of refused for the same reason. But the more and more I studied it, the more and more I looked at the scripture, he is not refusing out of humility. He is refusing out of arrogance, out of pride, out of self-righteousness, that he doesn't need a God of Israel to save him. Praise God his son didn't listen, because the king that destroys Israel and Syria, Assyria is the one that comes and nearly sacks uh, Judah. But God steps in, thanks to the Hezekiah's prayer. I will not put the Lord to the the test, except what he's saying is, I will not even acknowledge God, that he even exists. Therefore, I will not put him to the test, because then I would have to acknowledge him. This is out-and-out rebellion. This is straight-up wickedness. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is defined right there. Okay, What is the one unforgivable sin that Jesus says? It says it's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's what it looks like right there. You have God in your face showing himself to you, and you say, there is no God. That's wickedness. That's rebellion. That is wrong. Guess what? That's exactly what the Pharisees did to Jesus. Do you ever wonder... If you can push God too far? Well, the answer is yes. Yes, you can. I think the Apostle Paul was working on it, uh, and that, but God got a hold of his heart. God recognized the zeal that he had for the Lord. It was just misplaced zeal, and God put him on the right path. And man, that guy just went just as strong for God as he did against him. Died for him probably three or four times if you ever look, looked at the list. Most people should have died, probably a dozen times in Paul's life. Paul didn't. Paul did once, I think. I really do believe Paul died once, and, and they prayed him back to life. It's crazy. So you ever wonder if you push God too far? I believe in this case with King Ahaz, God says, here's your sign. Well, me being an uh, old school guy, a little bit more as I get older. There's a comedian named Bill Inglevall who is famous for this saying here's your sign. So, if anyone says something to him that is obvious in the situation, he, would, he tells him something ridiculous and then he says, here's your sign. Meaning the guy needs to hold up a sign saying, you're an idiot. Kind of like your grandma may say, Well, bless your heart, little one. <laughs> Here's a few examples. This is Bill's. I thought these were pretty funny. Last time I had a flat tire, pulled my truck into one of those side of the road gas stations. The attendant walks out, looks at my tire, looks at me, and says, Tire go flat? I couldn't resist. I said, Nope. I was driving around on these other three, and they just swelled right up on me. Here's your sign. <laughs> Next one, I shot me a nice deer. I hung it on the den wall in my house. My neighbor comes over, and he says, did you shoot that thing? I said, nope. He ran right through the wall and got stuck. I just <laughs> left him right there. Here's your sign. And one of my favorites here, a truck driver was driving along the freeway. A sign came up that reads, low bridge ahead. Before he knows it, the bridge is right up ahead of him, and he gets, he gets stuck right underneath the bridge. Cars are all backed up for miles and finally a police officer comes up, the cop gets out of the car and he walks up to the truck driver and says, puts his hand on his hips and says, Got stuck, huh? The truck driver says, No, I was delivering this bridge and I ran out of gas. <laughs> oh boy. I can only imagine some of the things that are going through Isaiah's heads, not to mention the son that he took with him to King Ahaz. Don't you see what God is? trying to do in your life and you don't recognize it here's your sign son you're an idiot maybe he took a step back from him and he asked the lord is this a safe distance Shall i even be in the same room with this king are you gonna smote him now because if you do we're in trouble because i'd like to get out before you wipe him out please The king was so wicked that some of the things that we know of Ahaz said he sacrificed his son on the pagan altars to make sure that they had a good harvest and things. This is wicked. How would you like to be King Hezekiah? Who's your date? Who's your dad? Ahaz. Who's your brother? Oh, we don't talk about him, right? We don't talk about him because Dad killed him. To the pagan altars. He had no right, and he didn't, he had no reason to do that. He should have been king, and I am today because my dad killed my older brother. Can you believe that? It's crazy. He tried to kill me too, but I got away. There, I don't know if he did or not. That's just a shamanism, but you wonder. You wonder if he did. God has a desire to rescue us from the lifestyle of sin and darkness. He counted the cost, and he made payment by sending his son to this earth for people like Ahaz, for people like Pastor Shane. Right? I'm, I'm a wicked man just as much as Ahaz is. I just surrender on a daily basis to the one who isn't. Jesus died an undeserved death to rescue us all. And I have hope in that Messiah. And God is calling out for each one of us to have faith in him. How will you respond? Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. We read part of this for Call to Worship this morning. This is how it all went down. This is where. The prophecy of the virgin birth comes to pass. This is how Jesus Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before marriage took place, since she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. Rome, not from an earthly kingdom, he will save them from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill God, the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, he took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relationships with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Wow. Hey, I want you to marry this woman that everybody's going to call a prostitute or a whore because she had a kid out of wedlock. Go ahead and marry her, though, because he's my son. And now everybody's going to talk to you and say, well, you knocked her up before you got married. In a Jewish culture, that is all kinds of wrong to do that. And Joseph did it with correct pride, I'd say. He did it out of respect for Mary, out of respect for the Lord, and out of love for Mary and love for the Lord. Why did it have to be this way? Why couldn't he just use Mary and Joseph's son to be the next prophet? Well, there's a very, very good reason for that. Man is corrupted by sin. Agree or disagree? Agree, right? We all have a sin nature in us. Man is born with the nature to do evil. Our first inclination is to uh, sin. It's self-preservation. We will put ourselves before anyone else. It's almost instinctual in us now. We know he was born this way because the first man and first woman sinned. So everyone else, therefore, has got this problem as well. So, therefore, everyone was born with a sin nature. Furthermore, I believe Satan is trying to do whatever he could to corrupt humanity. You look at that pre-flood, and you look into some of the reasons why that had to happen. Well, that's because man was being corrupted, me personally, believes, by demons. Okay? And you can... That's a a whole other scripture, but that's why God had to wipe out that pre-flood was to save the line of humanity so it would be pure. Start over with Noah and his sons and, and their wives. So the line of David... Comes in. He tries to wipe out the line of David. He tries to corrupt the line of David. He tries to get Ahaz to kill all his sons on the altar. If I can wipe out that, then God's a liar and I win. But he doesn't. He can't. And God shows up and, and protects Hezekiah through all this tomfoolery of Ahaz. But God promised David that the Messiah would come through his bloodline. And God used the virgin, man's lineage, to allow Jesus to be tempted by all these things. And then he used himself, God's lineage, the Holy Spirit, so he could overcome all those temptations. So he never sinned. Okay? That's why the virgin birth is important. If we don't have that, we don't have a Messiah that is sinless. But we do have that, and we do have a Messiah that is sinless. He has the power to resist temptation of sin given to him by God. This is why the virgin birth has to be because of the holiness of God, not the holiness of the virgin, but the holiness of God, right? If you don't believe in the virgin birth, then you don't believe that Jesus is Messiah. This is different than believing that Mary's holy. It is, that is not the case. She, is, she brings in the temptation part, right? And brings in the holiness part from God, and they come together to make Jesus I told this to the kids on Thursday and they go the light bulb just came on. They said, then why do they make why do some religions make Mary so important? And I said, That's a good question. Because it, it doesn't add up, does it? Because you wouldn't have a sin nature in Jesus to overcome if Mary uh, were holy. And I said, that comes back to the fall of man. Men are trying, men, I mean that in a general term, humanity is trying to find a hero in a woman so they can put her on a pedestal to be equal to man, which comes back to the fall. He says, You will always try to aspire to be like your husband. But you always fall short, and I don't say that out of like (laughs) as a guy. I don't say that as I. It breaks my heart, right? But God put things into place, and that's how we need to follow. Is in place, and so Mary was an exceptional woman. She surrenders to God's will and to his blessing. And we see some amazing things. Um, there's a song by Five Iron Friends. He calls her a one, one girl army. I love that song because think about it. If Mary messes up and Mary doesn't feed Jesus, it's all done. It's all over, right? But she is brought into this time. She submits to the Father's will, unlike King Ahaz, so she's already got him beat, and does some amazing things as well. But the holiness comes from God. We know Jesus was the Messiah, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered a gruesome death, and on the third day, he defeated death and gives us life. Amen? We know he ascended into heaven, right? He didn't just stop there. He kept going. He ascended into heaven, and God sees him coming a long way off, and he brings him into the position of power at his right hand, and he says, you sit down here. What does sitting at the right hand of the throne mean? It means his job is done. It is accomplished. It is finished. You can sit down because your job is done. Do we know that the Lord stands up after that? We know at least one place. He stands when Stephen is martyred. Do you remember that story? Stephen says, look, I see heaven open up, and the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God the Father. Because Stephen was faithful. Stephen was the first martyr, by the way, if you didn't know that. He gets stoned to death in a couple minutes because of what he just said right there. And he's standing because Stephen had faith in God the Father. And God is calling us out to have faith in him. How are you going to respond to that? It takes time. It takes energy. It takes practice to put your faith into motion. If you want to learn how to witness to your neighbor, then you better learn how to witness to your brother or sister at church so then you can talk to your neighbor how to do it. Right? That's faith in action. That's calculated risk. I am going to talk to my brother and my sister about Jesus Christ I need to practice on somebody. Would you be available to do that? Absolutely. I'll take that 100% every time. Take time on my day to to let you practice on me. Right? It's got to be, once you practice a couple of times, you see how easy it is to integrate it into your conversation? It becomes part of your lifestyle. And when it becomes part of your lifestyle, God shows up and does amazing things in their life because you were faithful That's where the Christmas message is. God's free gift to everyone. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time that you've inspired in us to give to you. Lord, I pray that we would listen to that inspiration and continue to give more of our time, talent, and treasure to you to see what your kingdom does. Lord, I pray that we give time to prayer we pray for our neighbors. We would pray for our family that, we would, that they would open up their eyes. We pray for the youth group that they would open up their eyes that they might see. Lord, we pray for this free gift that you've given us. What a mighty thing that it is. And let us not take for granted the power that we have in the Holy Spirit. And Lord, how much exponentially that changes when we even take ourselves out of the glory and give that to you as well. You are doing mighty things during this hopeless time of isolation. And I pray that you would continue to work in this community, in this youth group, in this church, and in my life, as well as those that are here today and listening online. Lord, we pray for your direction. We pray for your praise that it would be glorified throughout this community and that your name would be on our lips as a strong and mighty tower for this community. We ask for your blessings as we go. We pray that we would take time to be thankful and praise you for those blessings. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.